you know, in, in, in September last year, in 2022, um, we kind of take... We took a break from the preaching of the Gospel of John to preach the Senior Pastor Series in September. Every year we do that. And then we moved to a nine-week-long congregational series for our English congregation and finished up with the Advent Series in December. And today, we are back to the preaching of John, beginning chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And this is the seventh I am statement of Jesus in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, I am the true vine, in verses 1 through 11. If you remember, we have touched on the six I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. He said, I am the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I am the door, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And today, the seventh, I am the true vine. What is the significance of the I am statement? An article on this topic put it this way. When Jesus says, I am, it is the ultimate statement of self-sufficiency, self-existence, and immediate presence. God's existence is not contingent upon anyone else. His plans are not contingent upon any circumstances. He stands ever-present, and unchangeable, completely sufficient in himself to do what he wills to do and to accomplish what he wills to accomplish. He's the great I am. Two simple words, and yet they are so significant and so rich in its content as it is being proclaimed, announced by our Lord Jesus Christ. So with that background, let's turn to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11 through your Bible, through your um, electronic appliances, so that we are able to see God's Word by itself, and then we'll expound God's Word together. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Let me read to you. I welcome you to join me in reading so that it is more impressed. You can look at the PowerPoint or you look at your, your own Bible. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And the topic of the sermon today is stay connected. In the way our cell phones and computers need connection to access data and information, we also need to stay connected to Christ for a fruitful Christian living. So John 15 verses 1 to 11 describes our connection, our union with Christ. And here's the outline. Because Christ is the true vine, 
He expects you to bear fruit. He calls you to abide in Him. And He tells you that He loves you. And with that, let's go with the first point. He expects you to bear fruit. Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruits. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And you remember the background. Jesus is preparing His disciples to face His crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension back to the Father, back to the Heavenly Father. But in this passage here, six times, He teaches the disciples to bear fruit. It is significant by repeating the same request, bear fruit, bear fruit, bear fruit. And when Jesus mentioned that He is the true vine, we naturally ask, who is the fake vine? In the Old Testament, the vine is a symbolism for the nation Israel. Psalms chapter 80, 80 verse 8 says, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. See, the psalmist pointed out that the nation Israel is the vine who experienced the exodus of Egypt and the conquest of Cana to drive out the nations and the establishment of the nationhood to plant it. In Genesis chapter 12, God has promised Abraham that he will become a great nation so that all the families of the earth shall be blessed, Genesis chapter 12. So the time has come. A nationhood, the descendants of Abraham is finally established, right? But the nation Israel has failed in her responsibility by falling in sin over and over again and falling in idolatry over and over again. But now, thank God, came Jesus. Jesus is a true Israel. Remember when Simeon saw baby Jesus in the temple in Luke chapter 2, verses 29 to 32. He cried out, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelations to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is a true Israel who submitted to the will of the Father through His substitutionary death on the cross. He gives forgiveness of sins and reconciliations with God the Father to those who believe. He's a true vine, and we are the branches. Verse 5 says, And God the Father is the vine dresser, and He is eager to see fruit coming from His pruning. In verse 3 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. The vine dresser's expectations of the branch is to bear fruit. In fact, more fruit. And those who remain in the vine, they are being cleansed to bear more fruit by the word of Jesus that He gave them. The word of God, the word of Jesus, called His disciples to be with Him and to be connected with Him in life. 
They receive salvation through Jesus' word and Jesus' invitation as disciples. They are cleansed by Jesus' word in that way, and therefore they remain in the vine because they belong. They belong to that vine. That, the Bible talks about six kinds of fruits that we can bear as Christians. Fruit of salvation, Romans chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says, I will come to you and bear fruits just like I did with the Gentiles. He wants to see more salvation. And secondly, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we are so familiar, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, patience that we should be bearing because we are children of God and the Holy Spirit indwells in our hearts. And thirdly, fruit of generosity. In Romans chapter 15, verse 28, Paul was, was collecting uh, uh, donations from the church in Macedonia to help the church who were in poverty in Jerusalem. And this is, this is the fruit that I collected and give it to you. So our generosity can be a fruit. Fruit of good works. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says we are called to, have to, to live a life that is consistent with our Christ calling by doing good works. The good works doesn't bring you salvation. The good works derive from Christ's salvation, and through that, we are able to live the, the, the good, good works that we are able to exemplify before the world. And the fruit of worship in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, that we can offer praises to God as a fruit from our, from our lips. And, and finally, fruit of new life in Christ, Romans chapter 6, verse 22, because we are justified by faith, and that new life gives us the new fruits that we are able to show on the path of sanctification as we continue to follow Christ. There's six kinds of fruit that we can bear. And I think honestly, as we look at that and say, how, how much, how many fruits have I exemplified in my life as Christians? But the Father expects fruit, and He expects more fruit. And you know, as Christians, as, as God's children, obedient to God, our natural instinct is to then work hard to produce more fruit, right? Just, just like you, the way you, you work, just like the way you, you, you perform, just the way you handle a task. If you want to get more results, if you want to see more fruits, put in more hours, work harder, right? But you know what? Fruitfulness is not how hard you work, but how deep you grow in Christ. The fruit tree doesn't need you and I to help them to bear fruit. It comes from the life of the tree. The tree will, will, will flower and bear fruits, and there will be seeds in the fruit, and when you plant those seeds, it will grow again. There is life in the tree. You can't bear fruit because you work harder. You can't bear fruit because you try every means you can in order to get there. It is not how hard you work, but how deep you grow in Christ. Christ will make you fruitful when you grow deep in Christ. How do we grow deep in Christ? By abiding in Christ. And that's the main message for the passage today. There's a second point I want to share with you. Jesus calls you to abide in Him. In fact, this is a priority. This is a priority before you and I can bear fruit. You and I need to grow in Christ 
so that we are able to bear fruit. Verses 4 to 8. Eight times, he says, abide in me, and abide in me, and abide in me. Different translations have it to abide in me, to dwell in me, to remain in me. The word meno in Greek has been translated in different ways. Abide, remain, and dwell in me. But it means the same. It means to be connected. It means to be connected to Christ. In verses 4 to 5, he says the branches exemplifies its liveliness by bearing fruit. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You can't make the fruit. You can't manufacture the fruit. You can only produce the fruit by attaching and connected with the vine, and through there, you are able to bear fruit. So in verse 5, Christ says again, I am the vine, you are the branches. Don't make no mistakes about that. I am the vine. I give you life. And my life flow into you like a branch. And if you abide in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Your fruitfulness comes because you are connected with the vine. And Jesus said, I am the true vine. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing about being fruitful. You can do nothing about bearing more fruits. The only way is to be connected with Christ in order to bear more fruit. Gary Barch wrote a commentary on John. He reminds us, fruit bearing is not a test. You don't get to prove your productivity to be saved from destruction. It is not a KPI, so to speak. In your workplace, you have KPI. You have categories and areas to perform. You have expectations to meet every quarterly, every year as they consider your salary scale or promotion, right? Fruit bearing is not a KPI for Christians. Like how much fruits can I bear to prove to me how, how good I am before God and how well I perform before God? Every Christian bear fruit because we have life in Christ, and the life of Christ flow into us, and we bear fruit. The only difference is how much can you bear. So fruit bearing is not a test. Gary Bartz says, fruit bearing is a byproduct. It will come when you attach yourself, when you get connected with the vine. To be connected to the vine means that the life of Jesus is flowing through us, and it leads to fruitfulness. So fruitfulness will be the inevitable outcome of an interior spiritual life with Jesus. That's where fruitfulness comes. Verse 6, he warns us, If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branch are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. He warns us that branches that are not connected, they are disconnected with the vine, will suffer separation from the vine and ultimate destruction. Verses 7 and 8, he reminds us that to abide in Christ is to abide in His Word. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, and when you do that, ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you. Because those who obey Jesus' Word will submit to His will 
and his prayer will be answered because it is aligned with God's will, which will glorify the Father. And again, he reminds us the evidence of Jesus' disciple is proven by its fruit-bearing outcome. It's all about connection. It's all about abiding, dwelling, remain in Christ for you and me to be fruitful. And I pray that fruitfulness will also be our goal and desire for this year as we grow together as a church. Abiding in Christ is key to fruitfulness. And how do we abide in Christ? Just from these two verses here, it mentioned God's Word. It mentioned prayer. It mentions fruit-bearing. It mentioned about glorifying God. Those spiritual disciplines draw us to God. God's Word helps us to be aligned with His will. Prayer reminds of our dependence on the sovereign God. We need God. Fruit-bearing is a proof that we have life in Jesus. We are connected with the vine. To glorify God is to have a high view of God, is to honor God, is to really submit under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's how important it is to be abiding in Christ. In the past two years, when we have to keep physical distancing, remember, we have to resolve to online worship. We have to scale down or move online many church activities. Most of us experience spiritual dullness after a while, me included. In the first months, online worship was like, oh, thank God, we have alternative. We still get to worship through a TV screen in your living room by yourself or your family together. And then second month, you get a little bit restless. Sitting there just watching like a television program, it's not very, very attractive. It's hard to hold your attention because the speaker can look you in the eyes, can't know what's happening in the audience and begin to to tweak that preaching a little bit so that you can get drawn into it. That's hard when you do it on screen. And I remember I was preaching in Grace Center to an empty audience. I was preaching to all the chairs. It was hard. We all struggle. I struggle, Pastor Hanley, Pastor Wilson, as we preach week after week. We all struggle with that. But after all, we get used to it. We just imagine you sitting in those chairs because every chair has an invisible name there. You always go back to the same chair, right, every Sunday, practically. So we're kind of like, oh, I know that person sitting there, that person sitting there, that person sitting there. And you begin to preach to them as much as you can, as real as you can, hoping that the Holy Spirit will use the Word to minister to you. But that's as far as we went. And after a while, you become multitasking. Uh, one hand holding coffee, the other hand holding some bread and bagels and and then, you know, move about a little bit and listen to the sermon a little bit and go up a little bit, you know, third month, fourth month, and fifth month, and the pastor says, no, we've got to put a stop to that. Our church is moving into spiritual dullness, including the pastors. You see how, how important it is for the church to come together, for the church to come and worship God together in order to keep us abiding in Christ. And you remember, and I remember, many spiritual disciplines cultivated over the years have disappeared. 
I remember before the COVID-19, I was engaged in the uh, version to read through the Bible three months, right? So I was doing pretty good for a few years, like four times a year, four times a year, four times a year. I made a goal, you know, just speed reading to know the content of the Bible. I was consistent. But once the COVID-19 hit, it was hard. It was hard. So I gave up my plan. In fact, I never finished my plan. And I changed my plan to one year read through the Bible instead of three months read through the Bible. And even with one year, I struggled. And I finally finished in December. So in January, I began another three-month read through the Bible. Hopefully, I'll finish it. It's so easy to dissipate all the disciplines that you have worked so hard on, but to restart again, the desire is just not there. The church was at a spiritual low in those months. And that highlighted to you the importance of abiding in Christ and engaging in active spiritual disciplines and the gathering together of the saints. And as we step into a new year, some of you might be embarking on, a, on seeking a spiritual breakthrough by planning to serve more actively. And that's good. Praise God for that. But I want to really, really encourage you just based on the passage today, that you must undergird your active engagement in ministry by committing to a, a strong prayer life to learn to submit to God and to submit to authority, to practice loving one another, not just loving your, 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 your service and loving your ministry, but love one another, to fear God, then the ministry will not become your ministry, it's God's ministry. To be doers of God's word, lest you become too arrogant and to boast about how much you have done for the church. But what about your spiritual walk with the Lord? Are you doers of God's word? To bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not just the holy works and services in the church. Be at peace with all. It's not about you. It's about God. So I don't have to insist on my own way. My idea is great, but the timing may not be right. It's okay, I'll wait. Be at peace with all. In humility counts others more significant than yourself. Lest I thought, that the whole church evolved around me. No, 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 no. The church evolves around Christ. Christ is the head of the church. And look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, lest you think that whatever you do is the most important thing in the kingdom of God. It's just not FCBC one but the whole kingdom of God. You know, you can bring your drivenness into the church, just like the way you bring your drivenness into your research, into your career. Unless you and me are reminded that Jesus is the true vine. We are the branches. And the Father is the vine dresser. And He prunes all the time. He prunes. He prunes. 
He brings brokenness, humility, sometimes humiliations in my life many times to break me so that I'm a little bit more humble, more willing to listen, slow down, respect others more, and to serve with dignity. And for those of you who are called by God into service in the church, who wants to increase your capacity in serving God together, remember this passage, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Only then, your ministry will be God-honoring and people edifying. People will be blessed and God will be glorified. When you abide in Christ, Jesus is a true vine. He expects you to bear fruit. He calls you to abide in Him. And thirdly, He tells you that He loves you. Verses 9 to 11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I have a feeling that many of our insecurities, of our grievances, I have a feeling that many of our unhappiness Discontentment comes because we do not truly understand how much Christ loves us. And therefore, we feel insecure. We feel being marginalized. We feel that we are not important or not important enough to others around. And we are unhappy. And that grievances pour out in an emotional outburst that people wonder, where does it come from? While we don't truly understand God's love. See, verse 9 reminds us that the Father loves the Son with the perfect love that the triune God shares. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit shares a love that is perfect. And Jesus said, I want to share that love with you. And that love is extended to us through our Lord Jesus. It's truly astounding. I can't even comprehend that. That the love shared in the midst of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, that perfect love is shared to us through Christ. Same love. Oh my God. Can, can you imagine that? Can you even understand that? that? That's how much Christ loves you. And, and with that security of the perfect love from Christ in our lives. Our identity is sealed in Him through His love. And when challenges of lives and disappointments in ministry and, and hard and harsh words being hurled, we rest secured in that love and move on and heal the wounds, and say it's painful, but Christ's love is greater. I find my healing, I find my identity in His love, and I will move on with Christ. Remember that. That's how much Christ loves you. Verses 10 and 11, He reminds us, 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in His love. Jesus loves the Father by means of His obedience to the Father's commandments. And we must also abide in Jesus' love by obeying His command. Sometimes we separate loving God and obedience to God. Loving God is like, oh, I, I give donation to the church. I support Lottie Moon. I go to short-term missions. I do something for Jesus. This is my expression of love. Yes, it is. But the core of loving Christ is to obey Him. And I wonder if we actually know how to obey Christ. And let's, let's be honest, obedience is hard. <laughs> because we're basically a selfish individual. Two different degrees, but basically we're selfish. We know what we need, we know what we want. We try our best to try to understand those around us, what they need. But basically, you know, we serve ourselves. And to give up that and say, I obey no matter what, it's, it's a challenge. It's difficult. I, I was taught about obedience, humbled by obedience, by a high flyer in the aero industry in Singapore when I was serving there. He was probably one of the top management team. And he has eight more months where he qualifies for retirement. And because of his status in the company, and the benefit of that company is such that he will be able to fly with that company for free until he died in the first class. And that is one of the top airlines uh, in the world. I don't know if you ever fly first class. I have never done that. I've been in economy class. Occasionally, I was bumped up to business class because of my high, you know, frequent flyer program. And it was good, very good. <laughs> Drastic difference, right? From economy class to business class, good, very good, very good. You can lie down flat, in fact, you can lie down and rest for, for a long haul flight, it helps a lot, right? I never been to the first class cabin. I can only imagine I think that's like a small cottage or <laughs> fully furnished kind of a thing, you know? And, and this guy gets to have that benefit for life in eight more months. And he came to the pastor. The pastor told me the story. He came to the pastor and said, Pastor, I want to quit. I want to be a missionary because God calls me. As a pastor, what would you say? Of course. Hallelujah, praise God. Another committed Christians to go into mission field. No, he didn't say that. He said, brother, wait eight more months. <laughs> Just eight more months. You're going to fight first class for life in that top airlines in the world. My goodness. What's the difference for eight months? You've been waiting for so long already. And he said, you know, that's the first time I feel like my member becomes my pastor. 
because that Christian talked to the pastor and said, you taught us from God's word all the time that partial obedience is disobedience. That when God calls, you respond, right? You taught us that. So when Christ called me, I can't wait eight more months. I have to respond now. <laughs> the pastor said, you know, I become a member of a pastor sitting before me. He taught me how to obey God. So with, con with, with, with his uh, concurrence, he says, sure, thank you for, for reminding me. Yes, we respond to him. And he quit. His quitting the job shocked the whole industry because he's well-known. He was a well-known figure. And to know that he went into mission field, that even shocked further the, the industry. But he was, the pastor was given a lesson of what it means to obey Christ. It's a show of love for Christ. It's a hard lesson for me too. I wonder, I wonder if I were, if I were that Christian of high fire in aero, you know, uh, uh, in industry, aerospace industry, and, and was given that benefit, would I wait eight more months? I think in the flesh I will. <laughs> I think I can think of all kinds of reasons. And when you want to do something, you always have reasons. Well, I can go to mission field and fly 16 hours in comfort so that when I get to the place, I can get over the jet lag immediately and, and get to work for Christ. You know, when you want to do something, you can always find a reason in the name of God. You know what I mean? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Obedience. A hard lesson for all of us, especially in this land where independence and personal rights is so high in our agenda, right? Christ talked about love, talks about obedience, and finally in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Sometimes obedience can be grudgingly, but Christ is reminding us to have joy in Him, to have joy, obey joyfully. F.F. Bruce comments that this is a love in which obedience is a spontaneous joy and not a painful duty. That our obedience is out of joy because of our love for Christ. And we inherit not only His joy, but the capacity to enjoy God through the Holy Spirit in the same manner, which gives us fullness of joy and your joy may be full. Love, obedience, and joy. Something that we can grow together as a church and as Christian. This is the life that you need to cultivate. And these are the things that people don't often see. They, they see the fruit. They see your external appearance. They see the first shade. They see what you want to show people. 
But these are the things that is undergirding you and me as we follow God in 2023 and grow together. So love God and be loved by God and understand how deep and how wide that love is. The love of the triune God, the perfect love that is extended to you and me. Obey His word. Rejoice in the Lord and enjoy God, uh, what will sustain us in the new year. Abide in Christ is the key to fullness. Do you go weary in loving God? Do you go weary in your service to God? Maybe your service is becoming your idol. <laughs> you are serving to prove your giftedness. So you can't quit, you can't slow down. Because when you quit, it means you are not gifted. When you slow down, it means you are not as competent. You just push yourself, keep doing, keep doing, keep doing. And not out of love, out of joy, out of obedience to Christ. No wonder you're tired. Sometimes you serve to please the one who invited you. So you are tired because you are seeking his or her approval. And they don't always remember to encourage you. And you get tired. John reminds us to enjoy God first. And then you will have joy in what you do for Him. Let me summarize my message today. Jesus loves you and calls you to abide in Him that you may bear more fruit. Be fruitful, not by working harder. Be fruitful by abiding in Christ, brothers and sisters.